welcome to the Faith, Health, and Home Digital Podcast. I am your host, Makeba Giles. Here we share information and resources for physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being to help families live an inspired lifestyle and encourage healthy living. Thank you for joining us. Well, Deneen Miller is become a legend in her own right. The New York Times bestselling author has written and collaborated on 32 critically acclaimed books and has been a frequent contributing parenting writer for many respected magazines and websites. Deneen is also founder and editor of MyBrownBaby.com, an award-winning website that examines parenting and motherhood through a distinctive multicultural lens. Accomplished New York Times bestselling author and acclaimed storyteller Deneen Milner is joining me now to share more about her career and her new projects. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Now, um, first, Deneen, for those who aren't aware, tell us a little bit about your personal story and what inspired you to pursue your current career. Oh, goodness. Um... So I really wanted to be an architect. You're taking me back, right? Because <laughs> you need to understand, like, how in the ninth grade I decided to be a journalist because my physics grade sucked. I wanted very much to be an architect, but um, I, I, I was a straight-A student coming home with C's for the first time in my life because my, I just didn't understand physics to save my life. I'm just not a good mathematical person. Um, and my dad sat me down and he was like, look, you can't be an architect and build buildings and, you know, not know how to make them stand up straight. And so maybe you ought to think about something else to do with your life. And this is me. I think I was maybe 14 um, in the ninth grade. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> no pressure. Um, and so I, I, we were sitting at the kitchen table at the time. And there was a TV on the table, and it was there was a show. I grew up in Long Island, New York, and there was a show that came on at 5 o'clock called Live at 5 with Sue Simmons. And Sue Simmons was this legendary broadcaster in New York who used to interview celebrities at 5 o'clock every day. And so at the time when my dad said, you need to figure out something to do with your life, with the rest of your life, she was interviewing New Edition. Now, if anybody knows anything about Deneen and, you know, like my proclivities when I was a kid, I, I used to dream about being married to Ralph Tresvant. <laughs> and so, to me... <laughs> I was the same with Ricky Bell. Go ahead. <laughs> there we go. Oh, wait, you liked Ricky? My best friend Ida liked Ricky. I never understood the ones who liked Ricky, but I get it now. I, you know, like, I'll, I'll, you know, like everybody has their thing. I get it. But Ralph was my man <laughs> and back up with Bobby. And yeah. so <laughs> I, was, I just decided in that moment, I need to do what Sue Simmons does because I love Ralph. And this is going to be my way of meeting Ralph. <laughs> and so everything I did from that moment on was geared toward becoming a journalist. And I literally, you know, like I never became – and I started my career not in front of the television – but in a newsroom, um, but that's where I, I honed my skills in the newsrooms of Long Island Newsday um, and the Associated Press, 
and later with the New York Daily News, where I worked as both an, a political reporter and an entertainment reporter. And that kind of opened the door for me to write books, to go on to edit magazines, to work for specifically a parenting magazine, which got me a column, which convinced me to write, um, start a blog about parenting, but specifically from a black woman's perspective. And then all of those different sort of hats came together, the journalism hat, the, uh, the book writing hat, the, uh, the, the uh, blogging hat, the editor hat, all of that came together to help me sort of hone on this idea that maybe I could run a children's book imprint that would speak directly to the humanity and beauty of black children and families. I love that. I love how you share how, as you said, just one single motivation and one single goal <laughs> opened up this door of a um, mirage of things that you have done and accomplished in your life. And look where you are today, right? So that's I, that's I, very inspirational. I still haven't met Ralph Chester, though. <laughs> I'm 52 years old, and I still haven't met my man. So we, that. We, right, we have to work on that. We're gonna, well, look, we need to work on that and, and get that done for you right away after this um, pandemic <laughs> is over we have to reach out to Ralph Tresman and tell him that he needs to go ahead and connect with you absolutely you. ASAP well, he, needs <laughs> he, he needs to take a bow for all of the stuff that I ended up doing because, exactly. you know, <laughs> because exactly. of him <laughs> exactly exactly now one of the things that um, you mentioned was your website and you did launch um, mybrownbaby.com, which has become very popular, just skyrocketed. Um, tell us more mm -hmm. about the website and what readers can find there. Sure. So My Brown Baby, I started My Brown Baby in 2008 during the, um, the, the presidential election uh, or cycle, the president election cycle between uh, John McCain and President Obama, mm. um, and I, I the, the the running story at the time was about Sarah Palin's older daughter Bristol mm. um, getting pregnant as a yeah. teenager, yeah. and what I kept hearing on television and in the news media was, well, she is she's made a choice to have her child. She's still a kid. And, you know, really, we shouldn't be talking about this because it's none of our business. And from the perspective of a black mother at the time of black daughters who was observing this conversation or this, this sort of this closing down of ranks around this woman and her teenage pregnant daughter and this, this sort of line of, 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 of focus story focused, I, I, my girlfriends and I were like, what if Malia or Sasha showed up pregnant as teenagers? Mm -hmm. Do you think the media would be on television saying, hey, um, you know, we don't really need to talk about this. They've made a choice and we need to, this is a private family matter and we should let the Obamas deal with their private family matters on their own. That's not what matters right now. Heck no. Right, right. You know, there would have been all different kinds of conversation about 
um, the proclivities of young black girls and sexuality and, you know, welfare and society taking care of, you know, teenage pregnancies and, mm-hmm. and abortion. Mm-hmm. And there would have been all kinds of shenanigans up and down the televisions and newspapers and magazines. Absolutely. And so I just decided I need to write about this. And, you know, like my outlet is going to be my own outlet so I get to say exactly what I want to say and what my friends and I are talking about in this moment. And, you know, if there were mom blogs that were out, they were just kind of starting to get like big and popular in 2008 in a way that made it seem like they were accessible to most anybody who could get, you know, on a, get their, their blog set up on a, on a server. And I just wrote a piece basically saying, you know, like Colin Bull on that argument that um, Sarah Palin, this anti-sexual education, anti-abortion, you know, person should now be excluded from a serious, serious conversation about the fact that her daughter was pregnant at age 15 or 16 or however old she was. And so um, that, that story went viral. And, you know, from there I just decided, hmm, well, maybe I should continue to write stories about parenting from this perspective. And at the time I was a columnist for Parenting Magazine. Um, I was writing a a column on ethics and etiquette. It was like an advice column. And women from all across the, the nation were sending me questions about, you know, how to raise their children, how to be better moms how to, you know, get along with their husbands, how to get along with their mom friends, all of this stuff. But none of it was specific to black mothers and race. And so that's what My Brown Baby ultimately ended up being. It ended up being a place where I could write columns similar to what I was doing at Parenting Magazine, but with a very specific lens that talked about the intersection of parenting and race and what it means to raise black children in a, in a society that still struggles with race, institutional oppression, and just a general disregard for black life. And that's what My Brown Baby turned into, turned into this, you know, like big repository for stories about how we could, um, you know, recognize and celebrate our humanity and, um, you know, help each other raise our kids in an environment where they could feel and know that they are loved, um, even in a society that sometimes feels like it just hates us. Yes, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because there are so many stereotypes out there in regards to um, the black family and the black home. And um, I've experienced that firsthand. I have four children myself who went to or um, one still goes to a school district where the school district um, looks at all black children as um, they live in rental apartments or you know they they live in um, the projects or um, they are being raised by single moms or um, like you said you know welfare or whatever and yes and and when they um, would see my husband and I, you know, walk in together for the parent-teacher conferences or um, the school plays that they were involved in or the, the, the sports they were involved in. It was a shock to yeah. them. 
Um, they, yep. right. And, and, you know, to, to find out, oh no, you know, do, so what type, what is your apartment like? My kids would actually okay. get this question from their, from their fellow classmates. Yep. Um, what is yep. your apartment like? And they're like, no, I don't live in an apartment. I live in a home. And they're like, well, well, you know, what's your landlord like? And they're like, no, you know, we, we don't rent it. We own it. <laughs> and so, right, right, right. exactly. So there's so many stereotypes that are out there and I'm, and that's why I love mybrownbaby.com and it's wetless everything that you do because your whole mission is shattering those stereotypes so that leads into my next question for you Um, as a positive parenting advocate expert um, guru share with us how self-regard self-esteem positive black family images are taught and explored in black homes and communities. Um, the counter narrative to the degrading narratives and images um, that reduce blackness to just those stereotypes. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, that, that's precisely it. You know, we, I, I remember growing up and I actually wrote a book um, that, that speaks specifically to this experience. It's called Early Sunday Morning, and it's one of the children's books, um, children's picture books that I published on Deneen Milner Books. Um, it, it, I remember growing up in a community that was full of black folks who didn't have a whole lot of money, you know, who worked blue-collar jobs. That's, that's where I come from. I come from a family, two-parent household. My mm-hmm. parents were married mm-hmm. for close to 40 years before mm-hmm. my mom passed away. And we, you know, my parents always owned their homes. They always drove the, precisely the car that they wanted to drive. Mm-hmm. There were times when we struggled and there were mm-hmm. times when they figured out how to put their money together to get exactly what they needed and even some of what they wanted. Um, and every Sunday, my mother had us in church. Mm-hmm. And in church, we would walk down the aisle and the people in the church just had such regard for the children. You understand me? Mm. Like you would go and and you would go to, to Sunday school and you would learn lessons about love and about respect mm-hmm. and about you know holding your head up high, working hard, um, helping others. It, it was a moral base that was given to us in Sunday school and then in in church. You know we would be put in in all these different roles of responsibility mm-hmm. you know you're going to say the prayer for church you're going to play the piano you know yes. you can't play it all that well but you got a couple of songs in you yes. that you can play and, the, <laughs> and the, the choir can you know sing along to it you're going to lead the usher board and y'all are going to co- do the collection and yes. you're going to read the announcements you know there were things that they had us do so that we could we could be we could have responsibility we could stand up in front of people and present and represent, right? And, and you know, even when we couldn't um, execute as well as you, one would want to execute in that situation, there would always be a chorus of people saying, you got this, baby. Yes, Go ahead. You got yes, this. Right? Yes. Constantly. And that is the way that I was raised. That is the black community in a nutshell. That is your aunties and your uncles, play and blood, making sure that children are held close and loved and put into a position for greatness. Yes. And 
there there are you know that doesn't mean that everybody was married that doesn't mean that everybody was rich that doesn't mean that there weren't some people who you know live who were living in in apartments versus homes they owned but everybody came together right. on Sundays and everybody was equal everybody came in their nice clothes their best clothes and they 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 held each other that we held each other as a community you can find the same thing at family reunions. you can find the same things in our homes with parents who even if they're not married who love their children you know one of the one of the statistics about black fathers the stereotype is that black fathers aren't there right, right. And, there, and there are plenty who are not but there are plenty more who are and just because the marriage statistics for black people um is poultry that does not mean that black men are not involved with their children in fact there are studies that show that black men who are not married to the mothers of their children are more likely to engage with their children than any other race or ethnicity so you know like we 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 have to as a community understand the difference between the stereotypes and what's real and with my brown baby and of course with the imprint i've been going out of my way to show what's real because i know i'm, I'm a product of it my children are a product of it sounds like you and your children are a product of it and and looking at the stereotypes and embracing those and taking those onto our backs i believe that somebody has to get out here and be like that ain't the way that it is. Let me show you how it is for real. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, then, you know, and, and monetize that instead of monetizing our pain and monetizing the stereotypes that people, you know, like make a whole lot of money off of trying to teach white folks how not to be racist. Folks mm-hmm. make a whole lot of money based off of, you know, like telling stories about our degradation, about our, you know, like about slavery and, mm-hmm. and how we had to fight during the civil rights movement. People make a whole lot of money off of that, right? But I submit that it's time that we monetize black joy. It's time that we monetize a way for people to get into their homes, the idea, the notion that every day isn't about the struggle for us, that we love one another and that we hold each other in regard. Indeed, and I'm so glad um, that you brought the church up because it is the faith and the village that holds our youth together and cultivates our youth in our community. Um, without that faith and without that village, like you said, constantly pouring into the youth, constantly encouraging them, saying, yes, you know, you can do it. You can put your mind to it. Um, you had to read that that little part for the Easter play, and you may have, you know, messed up a few <laughs> words, but, you know, you had that whole church saying, you know, yes, baby, great job, good job, amen. We, that That's is, right. yes, that is in our roots, and that is what Absolutely. we've come from, and because of that, because of that continuous um, encouragement and that continuous faith and that prayer over our youth in our community, that's what inspires them and lets them know that, hey, you know, we, we are not what is portrayed 
um, out there in the media. We're not mm-hmm. those negative mm-hmm. stereotypes. That we are higher than that, regardless of right. our background, regardless of what we come from, regardless of where we are right now in our lives. We can rise higher mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you know, career-wise in every area of our lives. And it all began in the church, in the faith, in the village, you know, those aunts and uncles right. and, and um, those That's grandparents right. and even those right. those neighbors on the block who looked after you right. when you walked That's to right. and from the bus stop. You know, all of that yep. is the village. All of that. And, and yep. that, Absolutely. right, and that is what is not portrayed. Um, in the media so that's why what you are doing is so powerful and I'm I'm just so in awe of you for what you are doing and and being a leader in that area now um, in addition to the my brown baby website you have also launched your own book publishing imprint Deneen Milner books which is a collection of stories specifically tailored to children of color. Now, um, we've talked a little bit about this, but what motivated you to publish children's books that offer um, the contemporary portrayals of the African-American experience through stories that counteract those stereotypes that we talked about and instead shine that positive, authentic light on our community and our humanity? Well, it, it, it's exactly what I was trying to do at My Brown Baby, just seemed like it would translate onto the page for children's books. Um, you know, the, the, I had a, a, a captive audience with uh, My Brown Baby. There were just a, a lot of folks who really resonated with what, what I was talking about, what my writers were talking about on the website, and it just seemed like a natural extension to create books that spoke specifically to the uh, things that I was trying to convey on My Brown Baby. And so in 2016, um, my, my then husband was having a meeting with a small publisher out of, uh, out of Chicago, Agate Publishing. And, um, and I kind of tagged along to the meeting with this idea that I was going to ask this guy if he, ever inter- if he was ever interested in starting a children's book imprint. And I showed up to this meeting and, you know, with this, you know, as a plus one and, you know, with this idea that, you know, while I'm here, I might as well just go ahead and ask about this thing. And the editor came to the same meeting with the idea that he was going to talk to me because of my brown baby about mm. starting a children's book and friends. Mm-hmm. So we both showed up to the table with the same idea um, and, you know, put our, put our minds together and um, created the meaning on the books. And with Deneen Milner Books, we launched uh, a few really successful books in 2017 that won some prestigious awards, um, one of them being Crown and Ode to the Fresh Cut. Uh, And then Simon Schuster came along and was like, hey, you know, like, maybe you can do this uh, in a bigger way. Um, And it, it, it behooved me, you know, like, it was beyond me to turn that down. It was just like Simon & Schuster is a storied institution. It's one of the big five publishers. Right. They have done this for decades. Um, they, you know, have the infrastructure to not only, um, you know, create the books, 
but market and promote them in a way that mm-hmm. I just couldn't at this smaller publishing company um, and a team that, you know, from soup to nuts could get it done. And so I, I moved the imprint over to Simon & Schuster, and we've been enjoying some really, really wonderful, um, you know, accolades for the books that are, that are out now. Uh, and, and, you know, basically the, the, the impetus for it was, for the imprint was, let me get out here and see if I can dedicate myself to that same kind of idea that I had with my brown baby, which is let's go ahead and skip over these stereotypes. Let's go mm-hmm. ahead and skip over this black pain. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and skip over all of these different things that, that we are constantly telling our children, this is all you are. You, mm-hmm. here, right here in this box is, is who you, your history and who you are. You were slaves, and then you, you know, um, fought in the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King had a dream. Harriet Tubman freed the slaves, and now here we are. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, I think there's a little bit more to us. Right. And I think that, um, and I think that, you know, like who we are in a contemporary setting is bigger than, um, you know, just that part of our past. Yes. Um, and so I, I just decided that my brown, not my brown, but the Janine Milner book would be focused specifically on celebrating the everyday experiences of black children and, you know, focused on showing our humanity in a very specific way. And so I'm not saying, and you know, like I got, I get a lot of heat from people in the industry who are offended when I sit up here and say, you know, like, I'm not, you know, writing any, I'm not going to publish any books about the civil rights movement or slavery or black first. Like, I think there are enough books about Martin Luther King now, mm-hmm. or I think there are enough books about Harriet Tubman or Jackie Robinson. Like, it's great that, you know, they, they are there, but it's not my responsibility to publish them, right? There are plenty of people who will and, and continue to do so. Mm-hmm. But my focus is on this very specific thing and you have the right to do what it is that you want to do and I have the right to do what I feel is right for um, you know children that I love and, and hold with with high regard and that is to create books that they can see themselves in their contemporary settings um, on the page yes and our youth have the right to know that there is more to us than mm-hmm. what happened decades ago or centuries ago. Mm-hmm. They, they have the mm-hmm. right to know that. And I bring that up because um, I have a 13-year-old son who's in eighth grade, and we just had this conversation um, yesterday. He was saying that in his class, in his school right now, and, and he said it out of his own mouth, he's like, Mom, Every single year for Black History Month, it's the exact same people. You know, they talk mm-hmm. about Harriet Tubman. They talk about um, George Washington Carver. They talk about, mm-hmm. you know, um, Martin Luther King. And he's like, Mom, there's there's more to us. And then mm-hmm. he turns around and he starts telling me things that he looked up himself on. There we go. Right, on history that has that we have created, that our community has created even in the past decade or the past five years 
And he's like, mm-hmm. Mom, why are they not telling us about these things? Why are they not telling mm-hmm. us that, you know, a black person invented this or a black person launched mm-hmm. this or a black person did this? Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm tired right. of it. <laughs> he literally right. he, he literally right. said that he is tired of it. And I'm like, I, you know, I get it. I get it because right. we we need to stop. You know, we need to, and, and it's no, it's like you said, it's it's no shade to what happened to, you know, what happened in the past with those people. We're appreciate, we're appreciative of all of them, but we have done mm-hmm. so much more since then. Mm-hmm. Our community mm-hmm. has done so much more since then. And for Absolutely. you to say, hey, you know, everyone else, you can, you can write those books, you can put out those, you know, videos, whatever. Um, I have a, a library of stuff that I bought way back with my first child. Um, she's 27 now. And I bought all that. The amount of books that I pulled out of Martin Luther King and civil rights movement was just beyond mm-hmm. me. And I felt bad. <laughs> I felt bad about that myself. But for you to say, hey, let everyone else, you know, talk about that. But I'm going to bring the new and the current Mm -hmm. in to let our young people know that we are still out here breaking barriers, shattering glass ceilings. We are Mm -hmm. still out Mm -hmm. here creating things to revolutionize the world. And we are still being a positive force in this nation. Um, So with that being said, um, you it's just divine alignment for you. This is your calling to do that. It was definitely divine alignment for you. Wow. And and yes. I, we... Wow. Wow. That 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 you know, to hear you say that, you know, that sends chills up and down my body. I you know, like because I, I truly do believe that each of us comes here with a divine purpose and it is always it has always been my mission to shine a light on the beauty of black people. You know, that was something that I decided back when I was looking at Sue Simmons and dreaming about Ralph Tresman being my man, you know, (laughs) that was something that I, I made a point of saying I would do when I got into my job as a media woman, as a newswoman, that I would cover black people like one does a beat, right? Mm-hmm. Like as a journalist does um, a police bureau or as a journalist does a technology beat or a um, political beat that my role as a journalist would happily be writing about black people and the beauty and magnificence of us. And even back then when I was just starting to be a journalist, um, and, you know, just finding my legs as a writer, I would get ridiculed and told by primarily white journalists that I was pigeonholing myself and that, you know, like I would never do well in my career if I continued to solely focus on stories about black people and that, um, you know, the kinds of stories that I was looking to do weren't interesting or um, challenging or newsworthy. And I just refused to believe that. You know, like there were black people, black journalists who shied away from writing those stories because they felt like they couldn't um, succeed in, in their, their, their 
their craft or their positions in newspapers and television stations because they, um, you know, that, that when you covered black people, it wasn't considered serious journalism, right? But look at me now. Right, right. <laughs> I have, you know, I, I have never done anything but cover black people. And I've done it with joy because I think we're interesting. You know, I think that we do some interesting things. And I can always find an interesting story around black people that I not only connect with but learn from and teach um, used to teach others. And so, you know, like in, in the course of my career, I have worked as an entertainment reporter, a political reporter, worked as an editor at an entertainment magazine, a parenting magazine. I've written 32 books. I've run my own imprint. I, you know, have my own television show that specifically speaks to black women's issues. I have my own podcast that specifically speaks to black people. I'm okay talking about black folks. I'm doing just fine. <laughs> and um, and I truly believe exactly what you're what you just said is that so you know like this was a divine calling. It it has been a divine calling. I don't think that it's you know any coincidence that at the moment that my dad asked me that question, that some that I connected to a black woman interviewing a black group that I liked. And I was able to look at that and translate that into a job as a writer and, you know, at every turn, be able to use that to build and build and build toward where I am today. So I agree with you. It's very much divine. Yes, indeed. And you are a testament to the importance of never listening to naysayers. <laughs> oh, listen. If I listened to naysayers, I, you know, like I wouldn't have quit the daily news when I did. Um, I wouldn't have left Honey when I did. I wouldn't have written books. There were so many, you know how many people told me that you, if you're a, a newspaper journalist, you can't write magazine articles. And then what did I do? I turned around and I wrote magazine articles just because somebody said I couldn't do it. And then, you know, like how many people said, you know, you can make, write magazine articles and write for a newspaper, but you don't have what it takes to write a book. Guess what? I can write the heck out of a book. <laughs> you know, I had people tell me, you know, you can't go from a news journalist and then, you know, work on the radio or work in, tel work in front of a camera. Um, and, you know, I, I just, whenever somebody says you can't do something, that's, that's an impetus for me to go and try it. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and try that out. Yes, and it's worked out tremendously for you. Um, you are a living, breathing example of what you can achieve if you only believe. Believe in yourself. You. Believe in what was put in you to do. And um, Deneen Milner Books is, as you said, the example of that. Now, as a part of um, your imprint, you have some new titles under the imprint that epitomize mm -hmm. your core value that you just talked about of sharing those authentic stories and illustrations of black people by black people. Tell us a little about those. Absolutely. So um, with Deneen Milner books, like I said, the, the, um, the, the focus is on books that speak to the everyday humanity of black children and families. And so 
the stories that I've published um, do exactly that. So, for instance, there's Me and Mama, which is a book about a little girl and her day that she spends with her mother. And the little girl is just, she comes down the stairs and she's super excited. It's raining outside, but she doesn't care because she gets to spend the day everywhere where her mommy is, that's where she wants to be. And so they, you know, during the course of their time together, the little girl is constantly comparing her things to her mother's things. So my mom likes oatmeal with berries. I like oatmeal with bananas. My mom's dress is red. Mine is, you know, has flowers. My mom's cup is um, hard and makes this sound when I clink a, a against it mine is plastic and this is what it sounds like when I clink it with a spoon um, and it goes on and on with this little girl just starts enjoying this time with her mother and making these comparisons to you know who is clearly her hero and then at the end of the day when all is quiet um, here comes the hugs and the kisses and the mom, you know, putting her down to sleep and the little girl, you know, floating off into dreamland, remembering this glorious day that she had with her mom, which is really, you know, like just a really ordinary day. All they did was eat oatmeal, take showers, put on their boots and their dresses, comb each other's hair and then go for a walk in the rain. Ordinary stuff, right? But it's, in a child's mind, extraordinary. You know, I get to spend this time with my favorite person in the whole world, and her attention is solely on me. How awesome. And so, you know, like, that is the way that I always felt when I would spend time with my daughters. That's the way that my daughters felt when they spent time with me. And what a lovely, you know, sentiment to find its way onto the page. And so, Cosbier Cabrera is the author and illustrator of that book and she just did a magnificent job showing the beauty of a relationship between a mother and a daughter and that mother and daughter is african-american they're not um they're not uh uh um turtles you know they're not bears <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> they're not white children they are you know black uh, a, it's a black mom and a black daughter you know, doing everyday mom things. And, you know, that it's really what they're doing is ordinary, but it's extraordinary because how rare is it that we get to experience black motherhood um, and see that relationship between a black mother and a black daughter in that kind of way. Um, Same thing for My Rainy Day Rocket Ship, which is about, it's written by a a writer named uh, Marquette Shepard and illustrated by the fine artist, Charlie Palmer, and um, it's about a little boy who, on a rainy day, a whole lot of raining happening in these books, uh, (laughs) on a rainy day, he, uh, you know, is bored, he can't go outside, and he's played with all of his toys and his dog, and he decides, well, I'm going to, I want to go out to space, and so I'm going to build my own rocket ship, and then he uses everyday common household items to build this rocket ship, and his parents, you know, help him along the way. And basically what you end up with with is a book that talks about the, you know, the joy that a little black boy has when he uses his imagination and he imagines himself an engineer and an astronaut who can, you know, fly his, his rocket that he's made with his own hands to, you know, planet XYZ. Um, and 
you know, I, I just, I fell in love with the book because, hello, it's about a little black boy with an imagination who wants to be an astronaut. Like, duh. That's, how often is that, right? It's right. ordinary, but it turns into something extraordinary because the person that's in the book who's doing that is a black boy. And I, I've yet to identify another book before um, my rainy day rocket ship came out that spoke specifically to a, black, a little black boy who um, engages with rockets and wants to go to space. Yes. Simple, but it just doesn't, it didn't it, exist. It does if not it did, exist. That if it is does, correct. Right. If it does, you know, like, I'm, I'm sorry I missed it, but, you know, <laughs> it's pretty easy to find books these days. You know, you right. all you do is Google something and it pops up and I just could not find it. And so, um, you know, again, another example of something that's ordinary that turns extraordinary because it just hasn't been done before. Um, and then I have a YA novel called uh, uh, Wings of Ebony by an author named JL that uh, is about a black girl. It's the epitome of black girl magic. It's about a black girl who finds out that she's half human, half God and that her god side um, is actually in a secret location off of Madagascar where people who look like her um, were magic wielder, wielders who had their magic stolen from them and she has to use her newfound powers to save both the community and the, um, and the, and the world in which her family, her ancestors are, and also the world in which she's from uh, today, which is inner city Houston. And, you know, what this girl did, it, it, it was billed to me as Wakanda meets Wonder Woman, basically. And I was like, ooh, okay, well, you got my attention. Let me go ahead and read this. Um, and it, it, it's exactly that. It's a girl who, um, you know, comes from an inner city community her world is not perfect. You know, the people who live in her community are are not wealthy. They live in a community where they are taken advantage of, forgotten. And she, um, JL, makes a point of building this world where you understand that just because this community is not whatever your ideal is of perfect, that it does not mean that it's not a community and that love does not exist there and that people are not holding each other in regard. And so I really love the, 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 um, the world that JL builds in this book where she has you really kind of open your eyes to understanding that um, even when you look at, at, at a community as a stereotype, they don't have to live within your parameters of your stereotype. These people love one another. They are a community, and they get getting through the best way they can. And I just love that about that book. Um, and then, of course, I just love that, you know, like we've created a fantasy book that, are, or I published a book in which a black woman created a fantasy about, you know, like a little black girl with, with magical powers. How cool is that? You know, and there, there are you know, much more of those out now than there have been in the past. They certainly didn't exist when I was a kid. I would have loved to read a book about a black girl with magical powers when I was a kid. That didn't happen, but it's happening now, and I'm really proud that Wings of Ebony is on my um, imprint roster. And it actually hit the New York Times bestseller um, list in, the, in its debut week. 
Yes. And I'm really proud of that. Absolutely. Congratulations on that. And Thank you. um, you're saying about when you're growing up, um, and I can say that for, you know, me growing up as well, and I'm a 70s slash 80s baby, and I didn't mm-hmm. see anything like that, but I can also vouch for the truth in your statement that um, my oldest daughter is 27 and my oldest mm-hmm. son is 23. So I've been a mom mm-hmm. a long time and nice. I've, nice. I'm all about reading and they love to read. Mm-hmm. Um, all four mm-hmm. of my kids love to read and I have never seen any books um, like the ones that you have published, the ones that you have mm-hmm. put out. Like you said, they have those specific stories just for us and so I mm-hmm. it, the appreciation is beyond beyond what I can say for you for doing this because they they didn't they just did not exist um, right. so, so right. you're absolutely correct for that now in addition to these these three books that are new um, everything mm-hmm. else you have done which is phenomenal um, tell us what's next for you what are some other projects that you're currently working on and what else can we expect to see from you in the future oh wow well thank you for asking because you know everybody's focused on the the imprint but you know the imprint is actually my side hustle <laughs> <laughs> my main, my main hustle is writing books I still am very much a working author who, um, you know, writes every day. And right now I'm working on a book that's going to come out um, from St. Martin's Press in 2000, slated to come out in 2022. Um, It's called The Beautiful Blood, and it is a book um, told in three parts about motherhood, race, um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and relationships. And it's, told in three different stories one about a the birth mother the second one about the adoptive mother who um, adopts the birth mother's child and then the third um, part is about the the child and it's Mm. just exploring race um, motherhood and um, and feminism and all the things that sort of um, dance in around those three topics as these women raise their children and raise themselves. So that's what I'm writing now. That book is due in June. I am still in the second book and trying desperately to clean that up so that I can move on to the third. And um, and I am stressed beyond recognition um, <laughs> with, you know, it's, 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 this is some of the most challenging writing I've ever done in my life mm. um, um, just because the of the 32 books that I've written most of them have been collaborations I've written for other people and with other people and this one is a novel that is solely of my own um, invention and creation and so you know that's the, the tough part is writing in the solitude and hoping that what I think is good will actually be considered good and useful and make a statement and do what I've always tried to do, you know, which we've talked about a lot today, which is to hold our community in high regard. And I'm hoping that I'm doing the story of these three women in this book, Justice. So that's what I'm working on now. And then eventually when that's done, I have a couple of other, you know, 
books under my under uh, up my sleeve um, that I I would like to write. But eventually, I you know I would really love to dabble in um, screenwriting and mm. move sort of into the movie realm. And you know that's to say that you know I'm 52. I'll be 53 this year. And you know, for at at some point, people thought that you know, like when you hit your fifties, you are you know well beyond midlife, and that you know you you ought to wrap it up and sit down somewhere and get ready for your AARP, you know, like <laughs> card and and your social security and just you know your rocking chair and your grandkids. And I just do not see life that way, you know. Like I I, I do what I want. Um, and what I want is to be challenged and to have fun. And right now, the imprint is challenging and fun. So is writing, you know, this book. Although, you know, it can all of it comes with stress too. But there's, I've found very little things that in life that do not um, cause stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, you know, like, and I just, I don't ever want to sit still and rest on well yeah I'm done now you know like I there's just so many different things I can do and I'm never going to be the person who's going to sit here and be like oh well now I'm finished and so let me just sit down and do whatever I I want to be a working writer until I go out shows up love it I love it that's perfect and just know that everything will work out fine for you with this book um with challenges, great challenges comes great rewards. So, Absolutely. yeah, so press Thank forward, you. press Thank through. You. And Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. And I, I know that it will add to your best-selling author list of um, projects that you've already done. So just um, the best of luck and keep on writing. And I know it's going to be great. I'm I'm actually excited for it. So um, I'm just going to reiterate (laughs) to our listeners to look out for The Beautiful Blood, which is coming out in 2022 by Deneen Milner. Please check that out, as well as any or all of her 32 books she's already has on the market right now. Um, Her new books, Me and Mama. The Rainy Day Rocket Ship and Wings of Ebony are all available right now on their children's books, and you can find those on Amazon and anywhere else that books are sold. And also be sure to connect with the knee on Twitter at MyBrownBaby. You can also check out her website, MyBrownBaby.com. It is a phenomenal resource for parents, for um, relationships, for entertainment, for every, for all things baby. Um, definitely going to let my oldest daughter know about that. She just had a, a new baby. So um, oh, have her. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a grandma now. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So um, definitely check out Deneen and everything that she has out right now. And be on the lookout for all of her projects to come. I want to thank you so very much for speaking with me today. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. And I wish you the best of luck in your future projects to come and everything you're doing right now. I believe the best is yet to come for you, even after all you've done. Thank you so much. It was such a joy. 
and a pleasure to talk with you today on your thank you for inviting me into your space and thank you for sharing my words with your folks i so appreciate it thank you for tuning in to the faith health and home digital podcast for transcripts of this episode and others visit our website at faithhealthandhome.com also be sure to subscribe to our podcast and connect with us on facebook instagram youtube and twitter Thank you again for joining us.